So last week, uh, I talked to you a little bit about Abraham. I mentioned Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith. God, God, God told him the first time Abraham exercised his faith was when God told him to leave his family and go to a land, watch this, that I will show you. Could you imagine Abraham's daddy? Where are you going, son? <laughs> God's going to show me. Really? That's what he said. You sure it was God? I think so. Think about it. I mean, this is the first time Abraham has to exercise his faith. He packs up his, his bags. And listen, he didn't just have a couple bags. He had herds of sheep. He had flocks. He had servants. He had all kinds. It was a mass of people that left. But it was the first time he got to exercise his faith to go out to a place he had never seen before. Last week, I defined faith as the, the um, faith is the confidence in that what we hope for will come true and the assurance of the things that we can't see. So faith is having confidence that what you're hoping for is going to happen, but it's the assurance that what you can't see is still going to happen. Amen? Does that make sense? So faith is confidence and assurance. So Abraham left trusting that God was going to show him a place. And today I want to talk about Noah. Uh, Noah's the boat builder. What I think is pretty cool, I, I think maybe Noah built the first boat ever. I don't know. I was curious about that. Didn't, didn't take the time to look it up. But Noah was a boat builder. God told him to build a boat for a flood that was coming. That, but here was the problem. No man had ever seen rain in those days. They had never experienced a flood before. They didn't even know what a flood was. They, they never saw moisture fall from the sky. Build a boat. What you talking about, Willis? Build a boat. Noah's story is fascinating to me because he, he, has to, he has to step out into the unknown. He has to step out into something that he can't see and trust God and just act out in obedience. You see, your faith needs to act out. It needs to have action with it, right? You, faith is not faith when you're just saying it. Faith is when you act on it. That was a good point. Faith is not speaking it. Faith is acting on what you're speaking. Amen? There's a common denominator shared by all of these men and all the other heroes in the Bible, and it's what I want to talk to you about today. The title of my message, are you ready? This is super cool, Walking Faith. I'm sorry, I'm just not one of these young guys that comes up with these creative, cool titles. I mean, you're not, nobody's going to tweet that. Nobody's, you know, today, Pastor, talking about Walking Faith, oh my God. Walking Faith, I just keep it plain and simple, old school. <clears throat> Thank you, Travis. You're down to 4%. <laughs> the title of my message is called Walking Faith. Noah walked with God. The common denominator between uh, or amongst all of these heroes of the Bible is they walked with God. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 says this. Listen to how God describes Noah to us. God says Noah was a righteous man. The only blameless man living on earth at the time. Think about the pressure. I mean, you think you all that in a bag of chips, but nobody ever told you you're the only perfect person on the planet. Nobody ever told you you're blameless. You're like the only blameless person in the world. 
You never had to carry that pressure. You never had to carry that weight, right? But God describes Noah as a righteous man who was blameless. He was the only blameless man on the earth. Wow. And then it says this. It says, and he walked in close fellowship with God. I believe the, the scripture, I'm not trying to twist the scriptures, but I believe it could easily read like this. Noah, because he walked in close fellowship with God, was a righteous man and the only blameless person living on the earth. Just my, my take on it. Blameless, righteous. God's looking at the whole earth. And he sees Noah. You see, Noah was, a, Noah was a man who had a pattern in his life. His pattern for his life was to walk in close fellowship with God. If you looked at Noah's life like a scale or, 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 or a graph, you would see that from birth to death, Noah walked with God. Okay? Now, here's, here's the truth that you need to understand. Noah was not perfect all the time. God, the Bible says he was righteous and blameless. But nobody was perfect but Jesus. So Noah's graph would look like this. There would be some ups and some downs, some ups and some downs. But here's the beautiful thing is God doesn't look at the individual ups and downs in your life. He looks at the overall scale of where you're going. So Noah's pattern for life when you looked at his life from beginning to end was that he was a man that followed close to God. He was a man that walked with God. You could say that from the beginning to the end. He had some ups and downs. Come on, somebody. But if you look at the pattern of his life, he walked in close fellowship with God. You see, the devil wants you to focus on your ups and downs when God's saying, no, let's look at the be- from the beginning to the end. What's the pattern of your life? I get the ups and downs. I fully expected that. In fact, I was planned and prepared for that. I put some systems in place so that when you have your ups and downs, we can get through that. So the overall pattern of your life looks like you followed God your whole life. That ought to free somebody up this morning. You see, being close to God is a choice. Say it's a choice. Here's the truth. And you're as close to God as you want to be right now. As big and strong and intimidating as I am, I hope I still am, (laughs) I'm getting older, I can't make you follow God. I can't make you be any closer to God than you want to be. It is your choice, not my choice, your choice. And you're as close to him as you want to be right now. Noah could have chose to be close to the world. Instead, his fellowship with God is what separated him from the rest of mankind. You see, God looked down at the earth, and he didn't like what he saw. He didn't like what he seen. I don't know if I said that right. He didn't like what he was seeing. He didn't like the corruption and the evil in the world, but he saw one man. One man that had a pattern in his life, and God says, you know what? I'm going to take Noah, and I'm going to make him the pattern for new mankind. How many of you remember you used to go to Walmart, and if your mama and them, this is, this is going to date you a little bit. You, you, maybe your, your mama or your grandparents used to sew. How many, of you, how many of you used to have, like, homemade clothes? Come on, somebody. They ain't nothing cooler than some homemade clothes. 
Everybody else can go to the store and get what you're wearing right now, but some homemade clothes? That's the original. But you go to Walmart, i never forget, you go to Walmart and they had this whole fabric section. And I hated going to the fabric section because I wanted to be in the toy section. But my grandma would drag me through the fabric section and she would flip through them things. You remember that? How monotonous that was? I was dying. I'm like, come on, mama, that's a good shirt. That's a good shirt. Can we go to the toys? But she would pull out this little packet. And then you'd take that packet home and had a picture of what you were going to make. If it was a shirt, pants, hat, gloves, shoes, well, not shoes, but, you know, whatever. And you, you would take that home with you and you would open the packet and you would pull out this real thin paper, right? And it had a pattern on it. So that you could take what the image of the picture was and you could actually make something real. <clears throat> right? Y'all remember that? If you remember that, raise your hand. <laughs> we old church. <clears throat> God looked at Noah and said, I'm going to wipe out the earth. And he pulled Noah out the sleeve of everybody else. And he said, this is the man I want to duplicate. This is my pattern for all mankind. Because you see what happened, just in case you don't know, God got disgusted with the world. And he says, you know what? I'm wiping it out. I'm starting over. So he tells Noah to build a boat that's never been built before for rain that's never been seen before or felt before for a flood that they've never experienced before because God was going to wipe out the earth. Then you remember he put the animals two by two and then he brought all of his family with him. I, I had this thought, which is pretty crazy. This, the guys that were helping Noah build the boat were building a boat that God was going to start over with, but they were going to die. Think about that. I'm building this stupid boat. I don't even know. What? Rain? What's rain? Noah, what's rain? They're right in the presence of Noah. Never repented, never turned away, never turned to God, never changed their direction of life. People can be extremely close to the presence of God and still not change. His fellowship is what separated him from all of mankind. Noah was God's pattern. He wanted to start over and he wanted to use Noah as his pattern. The difference maker between Noah and the rest of the world was his closeness with God, his ability to walk with God. Noah was loyal to God. Say loyal. He was loyal to God and nothing else. You see, your loyalty is under attack every day. People love to say they're loyal, right? Oh, I'm loyal. You'll put it on your resume. I'm a loyal employee. And that's all rice and gravy until you put them to work. Come on, somebody. Anybody work somebody around here? When, we used to, when I used to be in business and we had employees, they would come in and say, man, and, and we, we created a work environment that both Denny and I came from bad work environments in the past. And, and one of our goals was to create an, an environment where people could come and they would be taken care of. We wanted a good work environment so these guys would come in man i can't tell you how many tons of popeyes we bought for these guys just to bless them with lunch <clears throat> tons one of them cleaned out the trailer one day say boss can we get something else to eat but we created this environment where they would come and they were treated with respect they were we were kind most of the time <laughs> now don't get me wrong we worked okay you you don't you can be nice and still work hard 
holla. <clears throat> so, so we created this environment. So what, what would happen is these guys would come to work for us and they, and they hadn't experienced this before. And they're like, wow, man, this is cool, bro. Like, like I, I get it. You know, we're working hard. And this dude's buying me lunch. He, he talks to me with respect. He's not cursing me out. I mean, wow, man. And they'll start saying things. This is the best place ever. Then they would say things like this, boss, man, you're going to have to run me off when I'm 60 years old because I love this place. I ain't ever leaving you. And boy, I used to get ate up with that. I'd be like, oh, yeah, we're doing so good. Until somebody offered them 50 cents more an hour. (laughs) You'll be amazed what a man will do for 50 cents. Don't clown yourself. So I had this understanding quickly that loyalty is not proven until it's been given the opportunity to be disloyal. Just because somebody says they're loyal to God doesn't mean that they are loyal to God until it's been proven. And when does it get proven? When you've been given an opportunity to do something else or be loyal to someone else. That's what happens when we sin. We change our loyalty. I decide, you know what, I'm going to be loyal to myself. I'm going to be loyal to this other person. I'm going to be loyal to the pressure of the world. Instead of God, Noah faced the same temptations. He faced the same attack. His loyalty was under attack. But that verse says that he walked in close fellowship with God. Let me bring a little definition to this word walked. All throughout the Bible, God uses the word walk. And he talks about your walk and how you walk and who you walk with. And what you walk for. It's all throughout the scriptures from the beginning to the end. He talks about walking. When I think of the word. The definition that comes to mind is to walk through this life in obedience with God. To have intimate fellowship slash experiences with God. Getting to know him more and more every day. You see my walk is not my salvation. My salvation is what I did to start walking. And my walk is what I do after salvation. Come on, don't be naive just because you got saved. Hey, all of heaven's rejoicing. Woo! Somebody got saved. Now let's walk. Come on, not works, but let's walk. What do we want to do? We don't want to teach you how to be good. I want to teach you how to walk with Jesus. Because if you learn how to walk with Jesus, eventually you'll be good. Or gooder than you are now. (laughs) Gooder. Noah's pattern was to walk in close fellowship with God. I've learned in this life that it's full of ups and downs. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. Sometimes people put these expectations on you like you're supposed to be perfect. If you've spent more than 10 minutes with me, you know I'm not perfect. My life is filled with ups and downs. There's days... I feel like I'm in the throne room of heaven. There's days I feel like my feet touching the flame. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've got ups and downs. My life is filled with ups and downs. But that's not the, my up or my down does not describe the pattern of my life. The pattern of my life is the, is the line that goes from beginning to end. And when I die, I want people to be at my funeral and say, bro, he messed up a lot. But that dude kept following Jesus. 
and he never quit. Right? I get it. We all go through seasons of life, don't we? We go through hard times, rough times. But just because you're going through a rough time doesn't mean that that's what your life is. Your sin and your failure is not your life. Go with me to 1 John chapter 5. I want to give you a couple of thoughts about walking faith. Y'all getting something yet? Start 1 John chapter 5. It's right there before Revelations. You would know that if you had a paper-bound Bible. If you're scrolling well, you, you'll never know that. First <clears throat> John chapter 5, starting in verse 18. Watch this. This, this, this portion of scripture changed my life. It says this. It says, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning or a pattern of sinning. For God's son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the, that the world around us, that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. I'm going to come back to that. And we know that the Son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And, we, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal life. Verse 21, dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Thought number one is your walk is under attack. You got to understand something. The enemy has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has a purpose in every situation. He has a purpose every day to steal, kill, and destroy your walk. Everything he throws at you has an intention to steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with Jesus. That's what he wants. He don't take a break. He don't slack off. He has no compassion. He's not generous. He has no empathy. He's a hater of the believer. Amen? And you need to be fully aware that he is after your life. He is after your soul. He is after your relationship with Jesus. In other words, don't play. Don't play. Your walk is under attack. Watch verse 19. And we know that we are children of God and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. (laughs) The world around us. Oh, I'm going to plant this one in deep. The world around us is under the control of the evil one. What do you mean, pastor? The devil's in control. He controls the world. Some translations say the world is under the sway of the wicked one. So the enemy is in the world. The world is under his control. The scriptures are clear. This is after Jesus rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. So don't get all theologically confused. The world is under control of the enemy. When I gave my life to Jesus, I changed teams. I went from his control to Jesus' control. Amen? I removed myself from his control and put myself under Jesus's. 
That's making him the Lord of your life. In other words, you quit being Lord and letting the enemy be Lord of your life, and you become, or Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. I switch teams. But, but, but make no mistake, the world is under the sway or under the control of the evil one. But just because the world is under his control does not mean that you are. Just because the world is doesn't mean that I am. That's why the Bible talks about sanctification, being set apart. It's like I'm going to be set apart for Jesus. My loyalty is to Jesus and not to this world. I'm going to separate. The old religious folks, when they were trying to establish religion and make you good, they would say, well, you see, you can't be like the world. So everything the world did, we had to do the opposite. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. The world brushes their teeth. The Bible says, clean your mouth. The world cuts their hair. You're not supposed to cut your hair? Come on, you seeing this? Religion would say you can't do anything that looks like the world. Listen to me. I can look like a cowboy if I want to look like a cowboy as long as I'm still following Jesus. Come on, somebody. God's looking at the, at the condition of my heart. The world is under the sway. It's under attack. So that means this, that everything the enemy has planned for you is to kill, steal, and destroy. Everything the world has to offer you is to steal, kill, and destroy. Are you, are you getting this? I got to choose. Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow the world? It's a choice. Who, who are you going to follow? And when you follow, are you going to be loyal? Well, yeah, I'm, uh, I think I'm going to be loyal. Good. Then, then go for it. But let me tell you, there's going to be a day where, where, where what Jesus wants to go and the world wants to go is going to be two separate ways. The world's going to say it's okay to kill babies. Jesus says you better not. And you're going to have to stand and make a decision on who you're going to follow. Amen? You've got to make a choice. Is it okay to go sleep with somebody else? No! You've got to make a choice. Come on, is this making sense? The world would say, scheme the government. Cut on your taxes. Cheat. What did Jesus say? Pay Caesar what's owed to Caesar. There comes a day where where Jesus wants to go and the world wants to go. There's going to have to be a decision that's made. And you're going to have to make that decision. Each one of us will have to make that decision. Because your, your walk is under attack. It's under attack 24-7. Let me give you a couple of Satan's weapons. You might want to write these down. This is just a few of them. Number one is distractions. These are diversions, interference, hindrance, frenzy, hysteria, distractions. Is your life so busy that you can't be loyal to Jesus? Have you overbooked yourself so much? Are you so tied up with everything else? Are you so consumed with what everybody else is thinking or saying about you, even though they're not, that you're distracted? The second weapon he uses is disappointment. 
That brother will jump on your sadness and your regret and your letdown and your sorrow like a bass on a June bug. He will just make one mistake and he comes running in to keep you down. You see, what's amazing about mankind is that when we make a mistake, typically we feel sorry. We feel, we feel like a failure. We kind of get down. We go, God, blew it, man. Here comes the enemy. <laughs> Here he comes to jump on you. It's a weapon he uses, disappointment. He wants to make you feel like a loser. The third one is delusions. He wants to mislead you. He wants to use trickery, mistaken beliefs. He wants to twist up your thoughts. That's why you need to pound this word in your heart. You need to have this word hidden in your heart. It says in here that if you will hide this word in your heart, you might not sin against him. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By taking God's word and hiding it in his heart. The enemy wants to confuse you. He wants to delude you. Are you hearing me this morning? He wants to twist you up in the mind so that you can't even follow Jesus because you don't even know if he exists anymore. Mistaken beliefs. He wants to twist up what you believe. Can God, can God do a miracle? Can he not do a miracle? I don't know if God can do a miracle. Can he? The fourth one is doubt. Doubt. Oh, he'll jump on some doubt. Uncertainty, unsureness, indecision, hesitation, suspicion. <laughs> I love that last one. Suspicion. If he could just get you distracted, get you disappointed, get you disillusioned, get you, get you in doubt. And here's the last one. Get you with some desire. Oh, that's his best bait in the world is desire. That's, that's what you wish for, what you want, what you crave, what you itch for, what you're desperate for. Oh, he'll throw some stuff at you. Oh, listen to me. He's got a tackle box and your name is on one of those sections and they got a pretty little bait in there and it's called Jamie's Bait. Or it's called Lucky. Because when I throw it at him, I get lucky. He's got a lure with my name on it and he throws it at me. Let me give you something. I'm going to try, try to put this together. Let me give you something. This is for some of you. There is, a, there is a deception that comes, a delusion that comes when you desire for God to do something for you and it hasn't happened yet. Help me out. There is a, there is a, a, a delusion that comes when you, I'll give it to you like this. Let's say you're believing God to heal maybe an emotion. I'll use emotions, but it, it can be a whole gamut of things. You, 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 you want God to touch you in your emotions. Like you've been wounded, okay, in the core. Here's, here's a distraction. Here's a delusion. Here's how he'll use a desire to get you off course. He'll get you so overwhelmed with what you need that you'll quit following him because he's not giving you what you need. You're, you're falling in love with what he can do and not with who he is. And so he'll take it. That's how twisted it is. It'll get twisted on you. If you don't watch, he'll, he'll take what you need from God, which is a good thing. 
It's a good thing. God wants you to be healed. God wants you to, 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 to heal and to, to come free from those things. But, but don't let the enemy make that the biggest thing in your life. Oh, come on. He'll take that thing and he'll make it so big that you'll miss God in the whole thing. You say, well, how is that, Pastor? I'm seeking God for that. Yeah, but that's become your God. That's bigger than God, and you're hoping that God will touch that big old thing, and you're not sure if he can do it. You're not sure. You're wondering if he even can. Listen to me. He can, and he will do it. Stop wondering. Start believing and keep walking. Don't let what you need keep you from walking. Distraction, disappointment, delusion, doubt, desire, his weapons. Everything the world throws at you is to knock you off course. It's there to mess up your walk. We got to be able to understand and identify the weapons of the enemy so that we can better guard ourselves and our walk. This is discovered by reading your Bible, by praying to God, by obeying the scriptures. And continuing to walk with God. Because watch this. Most of what God does is on the job training. Think about it. How did Jesus train the disciples? They came with him. And when he felt it was time, he sent them out. On the job training. Here's the blessing. The Holy Spirit is the instructor. Number two, so number one, your walk is under attack and you better be aware of that. Number two, our walk is our experience. Our walk is our experience. Watch verse 20. I've said this one the last couple of weeks, but man, this verse, this verse changed my life. It broke religion off of me. First John five twenty. it says, and we know that the son of God has come and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. So Jesus came and he gives us understanding, the ability to understand and know the true God. Listen to how the, the, the Passion Translation says it. It says, and we know that the Son of God has made our understanding come alive so that we can know by experience the one who is true. Your walk is your experience with God. How do you get to know God? Well, you start here. But it doesn't stop here. If you stop here, you just became smart. You know God from here. But God is so vast and so big and so powerful and so kind and so full of love that Jesus gave us the way. He, he made our understanding come alive so that we can know God from here, but also from here, from our experiences. Come on. From our experiences. I, I watched a, a documentary um, uh, I think it was this week or last week. It's on Netflix. I would encourage you to watch it. It was very good. It's a, it's a Netflix movie about Billy Graham. And it talks about from beginning to end, kind of gives a story of Billy Graham. And it was incredible. And Billy Graham is one of my heroes. Has been a hero of mine since I remember watching him as a kid preaching on TV in the old black and white. Come on, somebody. 
Get you some black. Some of you are black and white. <laughs> That's before they had color. But Billy Graham would be preaching on TV, and man, he had such fire and passion and conviction. And so I watched this documentary, and I've always been fascinated with Billy Graham. I mean, he lived to be 99. So I watched this documentary, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and it just happened to be nobody else was home. And I was like, wow, man, that was awesome. And I learned a lot of things about Billy Graham that I didn't know before, which I thought was really cool. But I was writing this message, and I, and I had this understanding or this revelation that it would sure be nice to stand before you today and say, I remember when I went and sat at, I stayed at Billy Graham's house for a week you would know that I have a different understanding of Billy Graham, right? Because I spent time with the man. (laughs) I spent time with him. I was in his presence. It was me and him. It was us. It wasn't a movie. It wasn't a a book. It was me and Billy. Playing my boy, Billy. It It was, we did a week together. You've been given the right to be with Jesus 24-7 and have experience with him. Yeah, you can't see him. You can't necessarily touch him. You can see him move around you. You can hear his voice, and you can watch and learn the pattern of how he works, and you can have experiences with him. You can know him more than just what the Bible says about him. You can have an experience with him because, you see, your walk is your experience. But too many Christians today want to have faith for salvation, but they don't want to walk. And the thing that they're getting bored about is that they only know Jesus for salvation and from the book, but they never get to walk with him and have a moment with him. When Jesus uses you to touch somebody's life, you can't get away from that. I was thinking about how, Jesus, how God sent Jonah to go and tell those people to repent. And Jonah said, them people can't repent. They ain't worth repenting. Them, them sap suckers say, no, I ain't going over there. And he, he took off running. Ended up in a fish. It was stanky. You know your life's stanky when you ain't following Jesus. Tweet that. Until eventually... He gets spit out on the shore after repenting. Gets spit out on the shore and he goes into the place he didn't want to go. Tells the people what he didn't want to tell them. And then he watches God turn a whole nation's heart around. And God forgives a nation. How do you walk away from that changed? I mean, not changed. How can you leave that situation and not be impacted by what God did? It's experience. Is this making sense? Romans 1.17 from the passage translation says this, this gospel unveils a continual revelation of God's righteousness, a perfect righteousness given to us when we believe. And it moves us, watch this, from receiving life through faith to the power of living faith. I'm going to read that again. And it moves us, in other words, it takes you from one place to another, and it moves us from receiving life through faith To the power of living faith. That means you're supposed to move on from salvation. (laughs) You know what's crazy? (laughs) You remember when you start working out again? 
And like you got, you, you, like day, the next day, you're not that sore. You're a little sore. Like that's why I don't want to go work out because I, I don't want to deal with the soreness. Can I just be honest with you? I feel a whole lot better already. But, but the, the day after you work out, you're a little bit sore. But day two, oh, right? Day three, and if you don't go back to the gym, you like suffer. It's like a penalty. It's like exercise purgatory. What's sad is when somebody gives their life to Jesus, but they never move on. It's like you had faith to believe for something that ain't even here yet, but you don't have faith to walk with God. Exercise it. So he, it moves us from receiving life through faith to the power of living faith. This is what the scripture means when it says we are, we are right with God through life giving faith. Watch this. To be right with God is not the absence of sin alone, but the presence of faith. Some people think that to be right with God means I need to quit sinning. Uh-uh. It ain't just that. It's, it's, yeah, you need to quit sinning, but you need to have faith and walk with God at the same time. Number three, keep your walk loyal. Keep your walk loyal. First John verse 21, he says this, dear children, keep away from anything that might keep away from anything that might keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Dear children, keep away from anything that might might what that might take God's place in your hearts. Keep away from anything that might. In other words, if it might, you shouldn't. If there's a chance it's going to get in the way of you and God's relationship, don't do it. If there's a minute chance that what you're about to do, say, or go is going to mess up your walk with God, don't do it. (laughs) If you got to question it, don't do it. (laughs) If it might... Anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Think about Adam and Eve in the perfect place ever, the garden. It's, it's perfect. God gives them one instruction on what not to do. Don't eat from this tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when, when she grabbed the fruit, it took God's place in their hearts, and they were separated from God. If it might, keep away from it. Keep your walk loyal. What is it that the enemy uses to lure you away. I promise you, he don't have a lot of lures for you, but he's got a few. And as soon as you identify those lures, the better you are at juking them. You know what it means to juke? I'm big and white. I can't juke. <laughs> juke means to dodge. It means to get out the way. It means to not let it get you. 
You need to identify what the enemy's lure is for your life. And I promise you, if you've got any age on you, you should be able to see the pattern that he uses to get you. Every time you try to get up, he's using this to get you down. It can be a thought, it can be an emotion, it can be a a, a memory, it can be an action, it can be a word, it can be an attitude, it can be a situation, it can be anything. What is he using as your lure to keep you away from God? The second question is this, what if, it says, is this, what what is taking God's place in your heart? What is it that you're so in love with that you can't give it up to get more of God? What is it that's getting in the way? Answer that question. What is it that's, that's taking God's place in your heart? Identify it and then pray to stand against it. And watch this. Here's the, here's the last point for that is bring others in on it as well. God never meant for us to walk by ourselves. Now, don't go paste, post it on Facebook. No, no, no. Don't tell the world. Tell somebody. Somebody that you can trust. Amen? That's why we have life groups. That's why we have accountability partners. Hey, man, can I just share something with you? Like just me and you? Nobody else? This is the the lure the enemy uses in my life, and I just wanted somebody else to know what it is so that when you see it passing, you can say, hey, bro, here comes that rattle trap. Here comes that, that crankbait. Watch out. Somebody can pray for you, right? Keep your walk loyal. Number four, last one. Your walk is your legacy. The world's twisted what we define as a legacy. It's a portfolio. It's a bank account. It's, it's properties. It's possessions. It's things. It's fame, maybe fortune. The world says that is your legacy. That's what you need to leave your kids. And it's great to leave your kids a big fat bank account. That's great. Leave it to them. You can leave it to me too. Just got to be honest in the church, you know what I'm saying? Watch this. Genesis chapter 9, verse 28 and 29. It says this. Noah lived another 350 years after the great flood. So all of mankind was wiped out. It was Noah and his sons and his wife and their wives on the boat. That was the only humans left on the boat. And the Bible says that he lived another 350 years after the great flood. He lived 950 years and then he died. Your walk is your legacy. Noah's pattern is, is from day one to his final day, the pattern of his life, the graph of his life shows that he was a man that walked in close fellowship with God. That is the legacy I I leave to Virginia, Ethan, and Anna. Cheryl and I leave that legacy to our kids. It's my walk. They've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly about their mom and dad. They could tell you stories that would blow your mind, and then I would punish them for that. (laughs) They They could literally throw us under a bus, okay? 
But that's not the legacy we're leaving. The legacy we're leaving is that when we get knocked down, we get back up. When we fall, when we make stupid decisions, we go back and we make them right. We keep following Jesus. We keep following Jesus. We get knocked down, we quit, we run, we hide, but we keep following Jesus. The legacy I leave them, the greatest thing I can leave them is a relationship with Jesus, an example for them to follow. Chapter 10 in, in, in Genesis shows how God starts to take Noah's sons and their wives and he starts to repopulate the earth. The Bible never said that they were righteous and blameless. It said that Noah was. But God took Noah's kids whom he left his legacy to and chose them to repopulate the earth. You see it? What is your legacy? What is your legacy? If you died today, what would you leave your kids? That's a question every one of us has to answer. And it should put pressure on you. This is not one of these pressure-free churches. The scriptures put pressure on me when I study for myself. It should put pressure on us. What is your legacy? What are you leaving your kids? Do they know how to walk with God? By watching you walk with God. Your walk is your legacy. What if, what if your grandpa was Noah? What if your great grandpa, like my great grandpa was Noah? Like, what if your grandpa was Billy Graham? What if your great-grandpa was Billy Graham? Billy Graham's my grandpa. What if your great-grandpa was Travis? Come on, Travis. They're laughing with you, not at you. What if it was Jeremy? What if it was Casey? Come on, you seeing this? What's your legacy? What are you leaving behind? Because money runs out. Fame fades away. But a relationship with God lasts forever. Your walk is your legacy. Your children may not do everything you taught them to do, but one thing is for sure. You're making an impression on them right now. <laughs> Listen, whether you intend to or not, you are making an impression on the people around you now. You get to decide what impression that is.